This morning you'll see several scriptures uh, in the bulletin, and I'm going to read from two of those this morning. Uh, I'll be pulling from all of those um, at some point in time in the sermon as we look at uh, fruitfulness for the next three weeks. So let me give our let me ask that we give our attention to the reading of God's word found in 2 Peter 3, 17 to 18, and then also in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verses 23 uh, to 26. Beginning in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and, law, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And then from John chapter 12, verse 23 to 26, And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would do a miracle. And by a miracle, that you would soften hardened hearts you would allow for your word, your truth, to penetrate deep into the places of our heart that are hardened towards you, that are closed up, and that you would, by your grace and mercy, produce fruit that would reflect change in our lives, that would ultimately bring you glory. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as has been stated already in our service, it is a new year, a new start. 2023 is in the past. It's all 2024 these days. So I feel like it's a great opportunity to ask the question, what are your goals? Let's talk about that. What are your ambitions? What do you want um, I, I, for, for this year? I, I've been impressed to see our girls have started a push-up challenge with some friends. I'm um, doing 50 to 100 push-ups a day. It's pretty impressive. Um, not going to comment on form at this point, but we're doing them. Um, I've, gotten somewhat I've got a somewhat ambitious reading plan that I'm trying to accomplish. Um, I love new starts. I'm, I'm almost ashamed to say I actually even got a gym membership last week. I know. It's terrible. Ask me how that's going in March. But a lot of us, you know, whether we take in resolutions or we take in new starts, that offers the opportunity to begin uh, new habits and start new things. And maybe that's, maybe that's what this is for, for you. And, and maybe that's something actually uh, there for us as well as Christians, because as I think about the idea of goals and I think about the idea of ambition, um, it kind of begs the question, what would you say is the goal of the Christian in this life? Um, what, is it okay to even be ambitious as a Christian towards that goal? If somebody came up to you at lunch today or sometime during the week and just said, okay, you're a Christian, what's, what's the purpose now? What's the goal? How would you respond to that? 
Is ambition wrong even as we think about pursuit of goals and those things as well? Well, over the next three weeks, we are going to look at that in the topic of fruitfulness. And we're actually going to look at goals or fruit, as it were, in in three categories beginning this morning with the goal or the fruit, uh, as it were, the fruitfulness of growing in grace. Because I want to submit to you that God is actually deeply ambitious. That God has goals. (laughs) And having goals is not a bad thing. Um, We say often that God is at work in this place, and he is. And his people are called then also, we might say, into his ambition, into his goals. And we stop and think for just a moment about what, what did Jesus talk the most about? Even after we have gotten through the, on the heels of the Sermon on the Mount, which I said over and over is what life in the kingdom is about, which is a hint to the question, what did Jesus talk the most about or say that he was here to do? It was about restarting his kingdom as a, in one sense. It was about redemption. Um, Reestablishing his kingdom. I think that's pretty ambitious. I think that's pretty ambitious. You can't help but read the Bible and not see it as primarily a story, in one sense, as God's ambition for restoring the image in us and his reign and creation as well. Ambition, my friends, is not wrong in that sense. As one pastor notes then, there are two fundamental sins, just for the sake of highlighting this, because I don't want you to get hung up on it. There are two fundamental sins as it pertains to ambition that I think we need to note, which would, which would categorize it as bad ambition. And it is often the times where we, we do feel the negative connotation about ambition. And the first is sloth, which is not having any ambition. That's a sin. But also pride, which is probably more familiar with, of having ambition for what? For oneself, for one's own glory. And so the question is not, is your ambition too strong or is ambition wrong altogether? It's really to what end? To what end is it oriented? In other words, what is the goal God has for those he has gathered? Is it okay to talk about that? What is God's chief ambition in the life of his people? What is the purpose of the Christian life as we await Jesus' second coming or we go to be with him in our own death? This is what I'm after and what I want us to discuss as we discuss the topic of fruitfulness. Because I would submit to you that the goal of the Christian life at this point in time is to be fruit producers, to produce fruit. That is a work of the Holy Spirit, mind you. But it is a goal nonetheless, and there's actually an aspect of that that we should be deeply ambitious towards. And so I want to talk about that in the next three weeks and what that would look like beginning this morning with the, the fruit, the goal, as it were, of growing in grace. What does that mean? What does that look like? Why does it matter? And that's essentially the three points for this morning. What is growing in grace as our first sort of uh, goal, as our first sort of fruit that we are looking towards, uh, as a purpose for for, for, for Christians today, where does that begin? Where does growing in grace begin, and why does it matter? Why does it matter? So let's take those in that order. First, what is growing in grace? 
What is growing in grace? To come back to 2 Peter, Peter writes, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Growing in grace can mean a lot of things. But I I simply want to submit to you that it's this. It's to grow in one's love for God, plain and simple. Right? We ended the Sermon on the Mount of, of really how do we express that love of God and, and not just being hearers of his word, but doing his words. And so growing in grace is, is a function of that. It is, it is growing in our love for God such that what you become imitators of him. It is to grow up in the ways that God has related to his people, the ways that he has treated and related to you, and then in one sense, be imitators of that. Paul will say it almost in all of his epistles, be imitators of God as those in Christ. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2, therefore what? Be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Well, what does it mean then to be an imitator of God? Because that can also go a couple different ways. Well, as we grow in our faith, we are not just growing in knowledge of God, though we are. We are in some way becoming more like him in the way that what? We love others. For example, we grow in love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and we can go all the way to the end as the fruit of the spirit of self-control in Galatians 5, because we know and are reminded what that this is who God is, and this is how he has related to us. We're confronted with that over and over in our Sunday worship, for example. Being imitators of God, then, is actually taking on that family likeness and reflecting it and offering it in various ways to other people. It's knowing that we tend to imitate that which we love. As a child, I didn't necessarily grow up favoring one superhero over the other, although I do have faint memories of running through the hallway with a towel around my neck as a cape. Uh, My heroes were sports-related. Um, And probably, uh, if I'm honest, Michael Jordan was sort of the the pinnacle of that for me. And, you know, as somebody who likes Michael Jordan, you want to be an imitator of his. Well, this is hard when you are a chubby, should I say white, suburban kid who has no hope in this world of dunking a basketball, let alone touching the rim, Um, barely could get the net. So what, what is somebody in that situation, what, what's the best that they can do? Well, the best that they can do is wear the shoes. Everybody knows this. And that's what I did. Occasionally the wristband, on um, the forearm, and then uh, oftentimes driving to the basket with my tongue sticking out as if I were going to make a dunk from half court or from the free throw line that never happened. But, but what is that? What, it's imitating what it is that we love. We tend to imitate what we love. To put it another way, we love what we love often, and I would say always, shapes us. And it begins to flow out of us as a result. This is why children dress up as princesses and as, as, as super, uh, or people with superhuman powers. They take on the likeness of their heroes and those they love. And that is, is what we expect to happen as we love God himself. As we get the gospel into us, as we like to say, allowing it to shape us, that it might flow out of us too, such that we become what? Imitators of him. 
This is an aspect of growing in grace, and this happens by the Holy Spirit. Can't say that enough. It happens by the Holy Spirit in the life of believers as the gospel continues to get worked into their hearts and their lives. It is not a second blessing for the sake of the argument. It is not talking about true conversion. This is what happens. This is a goal of what, uh, uh, for the Christian, for discipleship in the Christian's life after conversion. This is a goal or purpose, um, if you will, for, the, for, for all of the doctrines that we love in our denomination, right? The rich theology of justification and sanctification and glorification, right? All those things that we t- like to talk about, right? We like to talk about those things. What's the purpose of that? That you might love God. That you might grow in Him, grow in grace, being imitators of His what does this look like? Well, one, one way to think about this is the doctrines of grace, as I just mentioned, God's love for us in Christ, right? those things never change. What changes? Us and our knowledge of those things. And so it's not just being imitators for imitators' sake. It's actually right, being a fan, right? I want to watch all the games that Michael Jordan is in. I want to read all the stats. I want all the posters and the cards. I want everything. In a very, in a similar vein, it's, 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 it's the consumption of, 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 of God through our theology that grows us because we're learning more about him. He doesn't change, but our knowledge of him does. And as our knowledge of him changes and in the ways that we grow, right, his grace becomes more apparent in our lives. It becomes more beautiful and believable, as we like to say. It's always worth going back to the Antique Roadshow. I've gone there once before since I've been here at Wallace. Let's go back again, right? This is the show, right, that people bring their valuables, grandmas, whatever, and hope that it's worth something. And, and, and they bring it in, that they wait in lines, sure that this is worth millions, only to have an expert tell them that it's not worth anything, you should throw it away. Um, but then there's always that one person, right? And, and I've mentioned a couple before, but one of the, the most watched episodes dealt with this woman who had this uh, 18th century china, this couple of four pieces, uh, a couple of bowls were the most uh, valuable, but this stuff had been passed down from her dad, who, who bought it, obtained it while he was stationed in China back in the 1930s and 40s. Um, for 80 years, it sat on shelves, collected dust, probably had candy for the grandkids at one point in it. Um, yeah, I, I dare, dare to think they served soup out of it at some point. But she has them there on the table, and she has no idea of their value or worth, and she's asking, and this guy just unloads all this history. Long story short, the value of the collection is somewhere between uh, 800 and $1.2 million. She had no idea. What's the point? What you have in the grace of God, it hasn't changed. But as you learn more, as, as we grow more in it, right, it changes you and it changes how you think about it. And that, friends, is the fruitfulness that we are looking for in the Christian life. This is seasonal. We'll get to that in a second. But it is the aspect that you cannot plumb the depths of the loveliness and the beauty of these doctrines of who God is 
such that you would be a person that as you are becoming an imitator of God as well, as you're drinking deep from the gospel, as you're, you're connected to those streams even, as we'll talk about in a second, his, his beauties don't change, but they become fresh and new to you. You grow in them such that you long then more and more to be imitators of him. This is what growing in grace is. And it is a worthy goal for us to put uh, in the Christian life, to be ambitious about, desiring to see it come about in our lives. But we'll get to more of that in a second. Let me stay on track here. That's the first point. This is what growing in grace is. Uh, Let's look at how this happens. Um, And I'll try to be briefer in the second point. Where does this begin? As I said, it is the Spirit's work in our lives. And if it is something that we want to be ambitious about, and we want it to be a goal in our life, we want people to be asking themselves and others, how are you growing in grace? How are you growing in the love of God such that it is changing you over and over to be uh, imitators of Him in so many new and fresh ways? Where does that begin? And the short answer that that Scripture gives is death. It begins in death. (laughs) Not in your final death, obviously, but in the small deaths that we call repentance. But Jesus says here in John 12, and you heard me say that that, that it is only if something dies that it actually bears fruit. Jesus says this to some Greeks who wish to see him after his last entry into Jerusalem. This is some context for John 12. This would be uh, uh, Palm Sunday when he comes into Jerusalem. He is this is his last week before he is crucified, and they want to talk with him. And so he, he begins to talk to them about what this means, about, about something, you know, seeds falling to the ground. And unless they fall into the ground and die, they don't produce a fruit. They just, they, they're alone. And they have no idea that, that he's talking about himself. But of course, we know that now. For Jesus, this is the fruit. His death, right, is the fruit, right, of the redeemed. The elect of God who he was sent to win salvation for. Again, ambition. It is the fruit of new life now that the power and dominion of sin has been broken because Jesus died. Right? Again, ambition. It is the fruit of knowing Jesus' kingdom will have no end because he is ascended and is reigning. Right? This is what Jesus is talking about. All because of death. Now, the implications are clear as it pertains, though, to any who would follow Jesus, who would be, what, imitators of him as well. That Jesus' call upon our lives is a call to death, I would say lowercase d death, right, to suffering as well, so that, what, it might bear much fruit. Perhaps not in the same way that Jesus died, and certainly, certainly not for what his death accomplished, but death and suffering nonetheless. This is the way of of fruitfulness in the kingdom. And with this death and suffering in our lives comes about, uh, in, in our lives as disciples, like Jesus, much fruit will be born from it. How then, though, do disciples experience this death? As I said, it's repentance. It's repentance. You could add obedience to that. But for this point, I'll focus on repentance, that our growing in grace begins here. And why? Because it's the place that we receive grace. 
Beginning, the beginning of growth and grace is receiving that grace afresh over and over as we come to Jesus what for forgiveness. That's what for, for repentance is. So in one sense, we could say to the degree that we are, of, we are repenting is in some ways the degree of fruitfulness in our lives. Grace that is received as the gospel proclaims always leads to repentance of some sort. And repentance, right, is that dying that takes place in our lives in big, but also in small ways that always, this is the promise of the Spirit, produces fruit in our lives. Repentance is how we actually make progress in the Christian life. And just as the Christian life is one of ongoing growth and grace, so is the Christian life one of ongoing repentance to bring about the fruitfulness uh, in the Lord. Martin Luther, when he opened the Reformation, by nailing the 95 Theses to the door of the Wittenberg uh, Castle in Germany, uh, the very first of these, as many of you are aware, stated that our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of what? Repentance. It was the very first one. And Tim Keller has uh, some wonderful things to say about this, as he typically does about most things, but he says this about Luther's point. He says, on the surface, this looks a little bleak. Sort of in the way when I said that, 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 that the way that growing in grace begins is through death. I heard the air get sucked out of the room there. But on the surface, this looks a little bleak, Keller says. Luther seems to be saying that Christians will never make much progress in life. That, of course, wasn't Luther's point at all. He was saying that repentance is the way we make progress in the Christian life. Indeed, pervasive, all-of-life repentance is the best sign that we are growing deeply and rapidly into the character of Jesus. And I would agree. To say one is growing deeply and rapidly in the character of Jesus is to say one is growing in grace. John the Baptist in our text in Matthew that I didn't read from us says the same thing to the religious leaders of the day in Matthew 3, 7. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. But it is the way Christians make progress in this life, and it is where growing in grace begins. The question at this point for us then is, do you see repentance in your life as the way of progress in the Christian life? Not the easy way. I would, not the safe way. But the way of progress in the Christian life. Are Luther's words, or John the Baptist for that matter, your own? That the entire life of a believer is one of repentance. You could put it another way, are you a receiver of much grace? See, the hard part about talking about fruitfulness is this isn't an, an issue of willpower. I wish it was, because you all got some great willpower. You guys can get some stuff done. Your willpower is hopeless, helpless, pointless in the matter of fruitfulness. There's a place for it. I'll get it there in a second. But as it pertains to actually producing that fruit, it's not about you. It is a work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You cannot pull yourself together, though, enough to where you begin to grow in grace. That's not how it works. 
only way this happens is what? By receiving it. And when do we receive it as Christians? We receive it when we repent, first and foremost. And we're receiving grace all the time, of course. But this is the place where it begins afresh in our lives as we die to something and grow into something else. And perhaps my, 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 my question before we leave this point is, are we prepared for that? And I know Wallace Presbyterian is. Like, you guys are outliers as it pertains to the rest of the church. So let's just talk about them for a while. We can laugh about that. Thank you. But, but I, I do feel like it is necessary to say in a world where we do tend to navigate our, our lives through comfort and ease, that what Jesus is calling us to as it pertains to goals and growth and ambition in the Christian life it is suffering and death that brings that about. Are you prepared for that? Are you sober-minded about that? Because the only thing that's going to pull you in in that direction is what a greater love than your own comfort. Or the things that you just wish and desire in this life. It's going to be him. It's going to pull you through that. Are we prepared for that? There's much more that we could say about this at this point. I just want to, in one sense, scratch the surface and remind us, certainly as we begin a new year, that where growing in grace begins is with repentance. Let us be a people of much repentance in this life. That the fruit of, of grace, the fruit of God, our love for God might be grown afresh in us. Lastly, why does this matter? Why does growing in grace, specifically love for God in this way, um, and we could add any fruitfulness to that. Why does this matter? And gosh, there's several reasons for this, so don't, don't come at me for not mentioning yours, but I, I want to offer one. Growing in grace matters because it is evidence, and this is a kindness of God, it is evidence that you are connected to the true vine. And what a wonderful thing for us to reflect on as we start a new year. It is evidence that you are connected to the true vine, that you are, in fact, abiding, as Christ says in John 11. And this, according to Paul, interesting enough, is what leads to sanctification in this life and its end, eternal life. We didn't read this, but Romans 6 Verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification. That's a sermon in another day. And it's in, though, eternal life. It is a comfort to Christians to know that God is sovereign, that his election is true, and therefore, once saved, always saved. But the grace alone that saves is never what? Alone. That's what Paul's saying. It is accompanied by fruitfulness in this life. And that is another kindness, as I said of God, that we would be, uh, that, that would be, that we would be changed, that we would bear fruit according to his likeness as we abide. as an indicator that we are truly growing in Christ, in Christ. And so growing in grace matters not just because it means your love for God is increasing as you grow in the knowledge of him and as you experience even his grace and his mercy 
to you. It is. It's not just uh, because you are living a life of repentance, right? Growing in grace matters not just because you're living a life of repentance, which, which implies uh, that you are a receiver of much grace, uh, but it matters because it, it shows that you are abiding in Christ, which is what produces the fruit that leads to sanctification and ultimately to eternal life. How do we abide briefly? It's a funny term. We, to abide means to remain in, to remain in, right? To continue to be present with. And so Jesus says this to his disciples in John 11 before he goes away. And so first, abiding is not about salvation. It's about life after believing. It's about discipleship, if you want to use that term. What Jesus is saying to them, though, is after I leave as the true vine, I must be what? The object of all your affections, the object of your faith, the object of what your abiding is in. And nothing else. Therefore, we abide by being planted next to streams, as it were, that feed us the very person we are called to abide in, which is Christ. And the result or the proof of this is the fruitfulness that is produced that can only come from being connected to such streams. And one of those fruitful, one of that, that fruitfulness that we're looking at today is growing in grace. Right? So what are, what are the streams that feed us Christ? It's God's Word. So let's not overlook this. Right? Let's, let's come back to, not the basics, but um, the things we never leave. We'll call them basics. But what are the things, what are those streams? It is God's Word. It is the means of grace. And so for as long as I'm going to be here, right, and I hope you all would gather, you know, join in this with me, I, I want to encourage you in the partaking of the means of grace and what it means. But Psalm 1 is a psalm I come back to oft, often, and, and, and maybe many of you are already thinking this, but Psalm 1 gives us a wonderful picture of, of what it means to abide, of what it means to be connected to those streams. In Psalm 1, we read of a man who is blessed, who is happy, and the reason for that is because he meditates on the law of God day and night. And that's a little bit of a, of a hyperbole, of, of a metaphor, to say that there is something about the Word of God that is consistently uh, you know, being cycled through, if you will. He's getting a steady diet of the Word of God. But as we move into verse 3, we get the picture of what this really looks like. And the picture is another metaphor of, of this man being like a tree. And the text says that he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its fruit does not, or its leaf does not wither, and all he does, he prospers. Why is the man happy? Why does the tree prosper? It's obvious because of what? Where he's planted. By streams of water. And it's those streams that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, as we said. And this is why growing in grace matters then. It's why fruit on any tree matters, because why? Ultimately, as we say, it's, it's a sign of health and nourishment. It's a sign of abiding. That you are in him and that he is in you. We do not get a say in when or how much fruit, as it were, we might yield in a season or in our lives or, or you know, in the comparison game of things. That is not your business. That is the Holy Spirit's business. But we do get to say, and here's where your ambition comes forward, ultimately in where we're planted. 
where we're planted. And maybe that is good application, not just for this point, but for where we'll leave it this morning. As we consider fruitfulness, where are you planted? What is nourishing you? What is getting in such that it is shaping you and flowing out that which resembles the Father's likeness? And would we be so ambitious to care about that? Because what are those streams that the tree is rooted in, as we said, right? They are God's word. They are his means of grace to his people. The means of grace are just that, right? They are what feeds us the very thing that we are called to abide in. Which is to say the Christian cannot survive without them. They they weren't intended to any more than a tree was meant to survive without the uninterrupted access of water? Are you planted in a place where you are receiving God's word, where you are receiving the means of grace on a regular basis? And so for some in this room, it might be a more regular attendance on Sunday. Let me call you to that. Not for moralism, not for legalism, not not to uh, consider being an officer one day in the church, but for your own nourishment, for your own growth in the love of God. Would regular attendance in a church that preaches God's word faithfully be a step for you to move towards fruitfulness in the coming year? That being connected to these streams, as it were, um, looks like committing to the church so that you are being fed the weekly rhythms of the means of grace. And for those that are connected already, may this be a reminder of why we do this weekend and week out, because it is truly food for your soul. And that's the other part of the application, right? For some, it is just trusting that God's word and his means of grace, right? They are enough for you. They are enough for you. But for some, it might be that that it's a great time to push in with that a little bit. I might plug a home group here at this point. Maybe a Sunday school class that we started this Sunday. Maybe it's just saying, hey, I'd like to get some people together and and just read the Bible together and talk about it at a time that's convenient. Let me encourage you in that. But God does not hide, nor does he keep secret the way of salvation, nor does he hide the way of fruitfulness to his people. Where are you planting yourself? There, There are no secrets here. We are not Gnostics. We put it at the center of the church. Come, take, eat, be refreshed. Let that be a challenge for us, right? An ambition to pursue as we enter the new year. As we think about our own ambition this year, let's leave reflecting what on God's ambition before we come to the table. For God's ambition to redeem his people, a God who what? We could say did not plant himself high in the heavens, sort of removed and far away from his people. A God who didn't decide to not get that involved to those who hated him, to those who despised him, but instead decided to plant himself in the middle of his people, in the middle of suffering, and ultimately on a cross where he experienced death. So that in and through his death, he would what? Bring many to glory. Jesus was planted on a cross for our sake, experiencing unimaginable suffering and ultimately uh, death so that what you could have eternal life with him. That's the gospel. That you could have eternal life with him and never experience what the sting of death this morning. 
I'd say that's pretty ambitious. I'd say that's pretty ambitious. That's the grace that he offers you. Would we grow in that? Grow in the likeness of that. Grow in the love of that as we experience his grace to us afresh and anew this year. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your ambition and for your goals, um, for the permission to have them. Would you direct us, Lord, in a way that sends us towards healthy ambition, towards healthy goal setting, that we would long to be people who are being changed by your grace. And would you bring us people into our lives to encourage us when we don't see the growth we want in our life, but maybe you're working in another place in our hearts that we don't see, that, that we could be encouraged by that. Would you bring people into our lives that would pull us into community, that would begin that process of, of allowing Scripture to examine us and that would move us toward repentance of ways that, that, that parts of our life would need to die so that fruit could, could come forth. Would you do all these things, though, because of the promise of what it means to abide in you, you are in us and we are in you. And this is not a question of whether or not you are going to be true to your promises. This is a question of where we will land to be planted. So would you give us fresh eyes and ears and desire to want to be in the places where we are catching uh, these wonderful means of grace on a regular basis. That we may be as this tree planted by that river whose fruit comes in its season and never in any other season, any other hardship does its leaf wither. It prospers in all it does. Would you do that for your glory in us, we pray, as a church here in College Park. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.